from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. When those images came across the screen, um, it felt very personal. It felt very much like Ferguson could be anywhere. Really, um, he sort of exemplifies what's possible um, in the face of pain and the resilience that um, really has um, existed for centuries in the African-American community. There is hope um, through community. There is resilience through, through finding, uh, finding and creating community. I'm Sarah Fenske. A new documentary takes an in-depth look at a subject familiar to local audiences, the events in Ferguson following the death of Michael Brown Jr. Ferguson Rises premieres at the St. Louis International Film Festival this weekend and also airs on PBS this Monday. The film takes special interest in the pain and resilience of Michael Brown Sr. Brown suffered through every father's worst nightmare in August of 2014. And then he saw his son's death ignite a national movement. Ferguson Rises follows his efforts for five years. I was one of them closed-minded people. I just didn't know. You know, um, as you open your eyes and, and, and realize life is politics. So when, when we say we don't like politics or no politics, we live in politics. This is the best fight I have ever been in, you know, fight for something that I believe in, especially for, you know, my son. And that is Michael Brown Sr., as featured in the new documentary, Ferguson Rises. And joining us now with the story behind the film is its director. That's Mobolaji Alambiwanu. Mobolaji, welcome. Thank you for having me. So you're not a St. Louis guy. What brought you here to document this story? Um, Well, what brought me to St. Louis was that, you know, I saw Ferguson as being everywhere. You know, I saw myself on the ground. I saw people I know. Um, when when those images came across the screen, um, it felt very personal. It felt very much like Ferguson could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so for me, that was the main sort of driving force. Um, in addition to that, of course, um, my wife was seven months pregnant with our son. And, um, and I knew that at one point he would ask me, um, what did I do at this historic moment to make a difference? Um, and I didn't want the answer to be that I did nothing. So for me, really, the idea that, you know, seeing myself there and seeing, you know, potentially my son on the ground and knowing that um, that, that question would get asked, um, you know, maybe a decade later when my son's old enough, mm-hmm. uh, I knew I had to figure out a way to make sure that I, I answered that question for him in a way that offered him not only just an answer, but um, offered him some sense of, uh, of purpose and some sense of resilience and some sense of hope. And so when did you first come to St. Louis working on this? We started in 2014, right after the uh, the non-indictment. So, and then kept coming back um, for uh, over the course of about five years. So, so many journalists were here back in 2014. Is that something that changed as the years wore on, and you continued with this project? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we saw um, a clear shift in interest, um, and that that shift um, or that waning interest um, over the course of the five years, we saw the crowds get smaller, and uh, and we had um, 
the good thing about that was we got to have a little bit more time with the family and got to have a, a real intimate interaction in particular with um, with Michael Brown Sr. because the crowds had thinned down and there were less journalists and less people there um, at the events. Yeah, I imagine it, based on the timing of when you first showed up, at that point it, it would have been hard to even get to him. Um, was that something where it took you some time to be able to um, get to him to express your interest and then to get him to say yes? Yeah, I mean, it was quite a challenge um, getting through to Michael Brown Sr. I mean, we we called and called and called, and um, luckily we were on the ground. And, um, you know, funny enough, we were eating fried fish at um, at the Ferguson Burger Bar, which um, no longer exists. And uh, and Michael Brown Sr. walked in to uh, eat fried fish as well. And, and that's wow. how we uh, we began our conversation and how, how our relationship began. So had it not been for um, for fried fish and the uh, Ferguson Burger Bar. So having good um, taste in food, this opens doors for you. <laughs> yes, good taste in unhealthy food, for sure. <laughs> exactly. And did he have any stipulations coming into this? Um, I think it was all just a whirlwind for him. Mm-hmm. Um I didn't get a sense that, I mean, I got a sense that he was reluctant because he didn't know who I was. Um, But at the same time, um, I felt like he was um, almost used to getting asked so many questions and having so many interviews done that I I think he just didn't process um, through all the trauma and everything that was going on exactly what was happening until we kept coming back. And then after a while, (laughs) then he he realized, hey, wait a second. What is this guy doing again? (laughs) (laughs) Which project is this? (laughs) Exactly. So he really is the heart and soul of this movie. I want to play a clip from the film. This is where he describes how a father's grief can look different from that of a mother. Losing a child is, 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 is hard, you know, so, you know, we have to do things that build us back up to make us even more stronger men than we were before. We lose a child or whatever, they always go to the woman, which is natural, you know. But the men need support and love too, you know. We hurt too, we hurt a different type of way. Some of us hold it in, you know, and and, and sometimes we have to get that out before we explode. We're just trying to deal with it a certain way that we think that's best, and it's not. It's actually killing us inside, so we have to get all that out in order to move forward. And that is Michael Brown Sr. Um, in the documentary Ferguson Rises. So hearing him talk about that, is, as you mentioned, you became a father right around the time all of this was happening here in Ferguson and, and in St. Louis. Was this something that, that resonated with you? I mean, even as a very young father. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely something that resonated with me. I mean, I think what we you know, unfortunately deal with in our culture is um, is an environment where men really aren't fully self-expressed, where men don't get to express their emotions and oftentimes, you know, hold them back and appear stoic and stand sort of in the background while things take place. And um, and this was really an opportunity to, um, to highlight the fathers and to highlight Michael Brown Sr. in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and to really help people understand how to find purpose in their pain, right? I mean, I think um, some people can get lost in this in the specificity of the message and the story around Michael Brown Sr., which is important, um, but also forget that um, they too experience pain and they too have to find purpose in their pain, much like Michael Brown Sr. has done. And so really, um, he sort of exemplifies what's possible um, in the face of pain and the resilience that um, really has um, existed for centuries in the African-American community. Um, you know, through all the different tragedies that have gone on historically, um, we as a people have stood up and really found a way to to point ourselves towards true north, uh, towards purpose and, and resilience. And I think that part needs to be highlighted as well in the face of all the negative imagery that we see of African-American men. Uh, mm-hmm. We forget that there's this long history um, and that, that, you know, and that every everybody has to connect to that that purpose in order to really transcend their pain. And so of, of all the years you've now spent with Michael Brown Sr., um, do you think finding that purpose has changed him? No question. Um, I mean, I think he still struggles, um, obviously, as anybody would, with the pain and the, and the trauma and the feelings that, um, that he did not receive justice. I think he still struggles with those things. Um, but what he's been able to create, um, particularly reaching out to fathers who've experienced trauma um, and also supporting mothers and families and community members, um, I think he's found um, a sense of um, some sense of community and uh, some sense of, you know, hope through those members in the community. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an example for all of us to take away is that there is hope um, through community. There is resilience through through finding, uh, finding and creating community. And uh, and that's something that um, that helps us transcend the pain that we experience as human beings, uh, you know, in, in life. We're talking today to filmmaker Mobo Laji Alambiwanu. His new film is Ferguson Rises. It premieres at the St. Louis International Film Festival this Saturday. It also airs on PBS this Monday. We have details about those screenings on our website. That's stlonair.show. I'm actually going to go to the phone lines. Uh, Ron is calling from Ferguson. Ron, hi. You're on St. Louis on the year. My, my question to the director is how do from his experience of observing this how do we create movements that are totally positive of course there were some positive things that came out of the Ferguson uprising but there was a lot of negativity you mentioned the businesses that were closed black owned businesses the homicide rate has increased uh, a lot of people moved out after the after this and how can we have uh, meaningful change and not have a lot of negative consequences that go along with it. Um, Ron, thank you for that question. That is a very difficult question. Um, however, I, um, Mobilaji, I am going to throw this to you. Do you have thoughts on on this uh, very big question here from Ron? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, how we create positive change is we partner with organizations that are on the ground that are doing the work. Um, you know, we, we know and we recognize and we see um, – you know, organizations that are consistently doing the work, right? There's some people that show up and disappear. Um, those organizations perhaps aren't the ones to partner with, but the people that you see consistently doing positive work on the ground, partner with them, support them, donate to them. Organizations like Chosen for Change, Michael Brown Sr.'s organization, they have not left the area. They're helping the community support and donate to them and also push for legislation. I mean, ultimately, I mean, I think, you know, the material conditions of people can't change without actually pushing for legislation. Um, so we have to work on both fronts, on the psychic front um, and on the um, on the legislative front as well. And I think that's how we can make positive change. Certainly, um, we're not getting all the, all the things we want now in terms of the change that we need, 
but um, but I think it's clearly possible as long as we keep pushing um, and and keep and keep holding ourselves up and supporting ourselves in the process, right? Because it can be very painful and very traumatic, and so I think it's important to to do both. Uh, thank you for that question, Ron. Uh, Mobilaji, in addition to talking to Michael Brown Sr., you also talked to a lot of people who are, are active in policing, and you dealt with some of the bigger picture issues that, that were happening in Ferguson that predated this death. I'm going to play another selection from the film. Um, this features retired St. Louis Police Sergeant Gary Weigart, uh, Ferguson resident Shaquilla Jones, and former St. Louis Police Sergeant Heather Taylor, who's now, of course, a senior advisor to St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones. Let's listen. We have a thing called hotspot policing. I look at that as nothing but stop and frisk. Stop and frisk is the backbone of policing. Every major arrest I've made usually has been based on a stop and frisk. When you have a program of stop and frisk where you're actually counting how many suspicious people you see and you're being told by your department that you need to make so many suspicious stops, well, what happens is the police officers just stop anyone walking down the street. I believe a lot of those stops are pretty much unconstitutional. You can't even come down the street and walk to the store without Ferguson Police Department bothering you, pulling you over while you're walking. If the liquor store not open, you should not be out here, especially if you are a black person. I'm a law enforcement officer. I've been in Clayton shopping three times in my lifetime, and I was pulled over two of those times. It makes you angry. And that is from the film Ferguson Rises, a number of voices there. That last one was uh, former St. Louis Police Sergeant Heather Taylor talking about herself um, being uh, approached by police and, and pulled over. Um, Mobilaji, is, is your sense that this is a paradigm that has changed, that all the attention paid to this issue has led to some real meaningful reforms here? I mean, I think there's there's great dialogue around it, but uh, I'm not seeing as many meaningful reforms as I think we need. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so to be fair, I mean, I think there is great dialogue around it. And, and just to have police officers talk about it honestly, to share their thoughts um, is an improvement. And I think what we need to do is begin to continue that dialogue. I think um, with our new, um, you know, new President Biden and all those folks in office, I think people are, are, are forgetting about these issues and we're distracted by other large world issues that are taking place and clearly the pandemic but we can't forget that these these issues are still important um, one of the things we're actually doing and we hope to do with this film is create a, a national dialogue and partner with mayors and and different cities to actually um, create a dialogue where people communicate um, across these sort of political um, cultural and racial lines um, so that way we can actually begin to move forward as a community, uh, as communities across the country. And eventually we want to do this and create these dialogues across the world, right? Because policing issues are not um, solely limited to the United States as well. So that's that's the goal. And I think that's what we can we can do to really sort of push this, this issue forward is begin to have real constructive dialogue um, with police officers with, you know, again, across racial and cultural lines to move this, um, to move this thing forward and to really then begin to work collectively um, on legislation and to begin to see that um, in order for blue lives to matter, black lives have to matter and vice versa. So your film, um, people can catch this at the St. Louis International Film Festival this weekend. And at that screening, Michael Brown Sr. is going to be there with you. Do you know if he has seen this film yet? Yeah, he's seen the film. Um, 
<laughs> many times. Many times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there's um, going to be no surprises for him at this event. But uh, for the St. Louis audience, this this will probably be the first time. Right, exactly. It'll be the first time. Well, actually, I shouldn't say he's seen it many times. I mean, I think it's it's a very traumatic film for him to watch. Sure. I, mean, I think he's he's seen parts of it, um, and he's been at, at um, several of the screenings that we've had. Um, but again, I, you know, I want to just make that clear that I mean, it is it is still a traumatic and, and you know issue for him, um, clearly because that's his son. Um, and, and and with all the uh, sort of media attention, the negative media attention that was given towards his son, I think um, it, it still um, it still has an impact and still weighs on him very heavily. Of course, mm-hmm. so we, um, I just want to be respectful uh, of that. And uh, but but he has seen the film and he and he does appreciate, I think, um, the uniqueness of telling a father's perspective and really um, acknowledging um, you know his story and his journey because I think that's every man's journey. And and I think when we see Michael Brown Sr., we have to see ourselves. So, you know, in order for this society and this community to work, we really have to begin to see ourselves in other people, whether we like them or disagree with them, whether they're a police officer or a white or a black citizen or whatever else, or an Asian citizen or, or a Latinx citizen. I think we have to begin to see ourselves. And I hope through this film, people begin to see themselves through Michael Brown Sr., through his struggle, and understand that the universal struggle to find purpose in pain is, is something that, um, that they can, um, you know, identify with, really. So that film, it, it screens at the St. Louis International Film Festival this Saturday, November 6th. That's at 4.30 p.m. at the Tivoli Theater. It also airs on PBS's Independent Lens on Monday, November 8th. That's at 9 p.m. on the Nine Network. We have details for both screenings at sdlonair.show. Uh, Mobolaji Alambiwanu, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. And follow us on social media at Ferguson Rises uh, or Ferguson underscore Rises on Instagram. Thank you. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury with audio engineering by Aaron Dorr and production assistance from Jane Mather Glass. It was mixed and edited by Jane. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.